From 11FS, this is Fintech Insider News. Today, we have a show of two halves for you. The first half is about fintechs raising and buying other fintechs. And the second is about big shakeups in the payment space as Solaris Bank raises 224 million and acquires its competitor Contis. Starling acquires Fleet Mortgages and Visa acquires Currency Cloud. And my two favorite things kind of collide in the second half of the show as well. We've got a story about basketball and fintech as the Chicago Bulls team up with our friends at Shopify for an NFT collection. All this and much, much more on today's show. But before we start, we just want to tell you about something we've been cooking up at 11FS and hear a quick word from our sponsors as well. Hey folks, over here at 11FS, we're still working hard to build the next generation of financial services and our team is growing quickly. So we're looking for a bunch of new 11s to join us. If you or someone you know is up for a new challenge and a bit of a fintech nerd like us, check out the roles in consulting across product, engineering, design, delivery, and strategy. You'll find all the details at 11fs.com forward slash careers. Temenos is the world's leader in banking software, helping over 3,000 banks serve over 1.2 billion people. Our purpose is to make banking better. Together with our community, we make banks more successful, individuals better banked, and society better served. With our software, banks can create more human, differentiated digital experiences, hyper-efficient business models to benefit the bank and their customers, and simplify and transform their back office. Our clients are the highest performing banks with cost-income ratios which are twice better than the industry average. Learn more at temenos.com. Welcome to episode 550 of Fintech Insider. My name is David Breer and I'm joined by my 11FS colleague and co-host for the day, Guerra Kiwana. How are you doing, Guerra? Hi, David. Doing okay. How are you doing? Look, you're looking really tan. Good. I'm loving the hair. Like, the hair is amazing. Like, how long did that take? Like, this is not good for an audio podcast, guys, but just let, like, listen, like, the, the hair is looking good. How long did that take? Uh, you know what, crazy? When you first met me, David, I had black hair when I started Loving a Fest, and then the pandemic did something to me, and I'm just going to have gray, <laughs> I'm going to have blonde gray hair until I actually go gray. The stresses of pandemic life, right? Uh, it, it, like I can't believe it's that. It's uh, it's looking so it's looking so consistently awesome that uh, it can't be that. But uh, but anyway, how's your week been? So far, so good. I've taken a little bit of time off, a uh, little bit of summer summer breaks. So far, so good. Very good. All right. Uh, as always, we're not going to be alone. I mean, where we could chat about the the beauties of hair and and my beard. I guess at some point, um, you know, return the compliment. It's up to you. It's fine, you know. Um, but uh, but we're always joined by uh, other amazing guests as well. Uh, making a very welcome return to the show, Alex Freem, head of corporate affairs at Starling Bank. Welcome back, Alex. How are you doing? Hi, David. I'm really good. I'm really pleased to be here. Nice to meet um, Layla for the first time and Guerra, who I've not met before. And Guerra, I don't want to talk about your hair, but I know that you've been doing some teaching with Scott Galloway, haven't you? And yes, I have, I was, yeah. I'm a little bit obsessed with him and his podcast and his Great Dane, um, uh, if you follow him on Twitter. So I'm intrigued to know all about that, uh, maybe afterwards. I, I, will, I will say that he's exactly as he is online like in person, I guess, or in his lectures. So yeah. Oh, how exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a whole, there's a whole like behind the scenes podcast we're going to have to do at that stage uh, on, on all of that. Um, and making her fintech insider debut, we have Layla Kazim, who is head of strategy and shareholder relations at Solaris Bank. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? 
I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. I've been listening to you a lot before, so it's uh, it's kind of like my my 15 minutes of fame right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's uh, lots to talk about on the Solaris Bank front as well, and we'll uh, we'll come to that uh, right now. In fact, so uh, first story that we have for for the week uh, is one that was over on TechCrunch and covered in a lot of other places. And actually, Marco sent me a text message about it to make sure that actually I'd seen it as well. So shout out to Marco, who I know will be listening to this as well. Solaris Bank raises 224 million and acquires its competitor. So this is. Um, uh, Solaris Bank's a very significant raise here as part of their Series D that values the company at 1.4 billion dollars, uh, 1.4 billion euros. That is, sorry, 1.65 billion dollars. Uh, and as part of that, announced the acquisition of one of its competitors in the space, Contis. The round comes a year after its last round of 67.5 million dollars, and the company's valuation is nearly quintupled. Not a word I get to use very often, but that's quite impressive. Uh, since then, which is really, really impressive. Uh, CEO Roland Foltz said the Contis acquisition will help Solaris Bank better cover all parts of Europe and start to make its first early moves into Asia. I mean, Leila, it feels like probably worth kind of opening up the door to you at this stage and going, well done. That's pretty <laughs> impressive. Uh, big week, eh? It has been an absolutely mammoth week for us. Um We've obviously been working on this behind the scenes for several several months um, and have had to keep everything under wraps because, as Alex, I'm sure, will know, acquisitions are very um, sensitive topics. So you have to go on the approach carefully, making sure that all stakeholders are on board, especially our shareholders. And then in parallel, we had to raise the money in order to go shopping. So... Um, a parallel process that doesn't take um, the faint of heart. I'll say that much. <laughs> well, and getting those two things to line up, as you say, in terms of uh, you know finding that target and making sure it fits, and there's a cultural alignment and everything that goes with that, and then landing the you know the money at the same time to go and make those things happen is uh, no small uh, small feat in that. So, uh, I mean, how do you think this all all sort of change? I guess from uh, many people don't know this actually. I mean, I think it was episode four of FinTech Insider. We come and hang out with you guys over in Berlin, and you know, you could see right then Solaris Bank was going to be going really, really interesting places with the aspiration of the organization, but also the the culture and dynamic of what you guys set up. But how do you think this sort of takes you to that next level? Well, we knew basically as soon as Brexit was looming and we lost our access to the UK market, having a BaFin regulated German banking license would have otherwise meant that we could passport our services to the UK market. As soon as Brexit happened, of course, that opportunity was lost. So we knew it was a strategic imperative because if we truly wish to become the undisputed banking as a service leader in Europe, then we cannot not have one of the biggest markets there, which is the UK. So it was deemed a strategic imperative at the end of 2020. And we knew that we had to find either the right target or we would go about the process ourselves. And as we started to learn much more about this process, we realized that it would be quite cumbersome, it would be quite lengthy. And instead, um, the fastest path to market would be through acquisition. So now it's really about consolidating our position, being that undisputed leader, which we 
are very excited about. We've also uh, branched to France, Italy and Spain. And what that means is, uh, further than the passporting, where you essentially have the, the DEI band, the German I band sitting in the background, we have our French, Italian and Spanish IBANs, which means that we can overcome that IBAN discrimination, which you see in a lot of continental Europe. So um, we're really excited. It just further compounds what we're trying to do. Our vision is to create a world where we seamlessly sync financial services with life. And I, I think this just catalyzes that further, Contis. Um, actually, when we first started looking at them, Roland and I kind of got off the phone to one another and said, wow, they are almost one-to-one -one doing the same thing that we're trying to do. They, they understand the banking as a service proposition. They understand that the account sits at the heart of it. And then you add all of the ancillary services on top of that. So um, we were wildly excited when we realized this is, this is actually really going to happen. We're really going to join forces We're so excited to have them uh, with us alongside us to fulfill this vision. And I'm really excited to see how the next 12 to 24 months go as well. Of course, we're pending regulatory approval, so we will have to wait that. But once that's in the bag, we're hoping um, that comes at the end of the year. Then we're all systems go. Fantastic. Well, we'll talk about it a little bit more in terms of the context of it and, you know, this sort of change in the strategy. But if I kind of move on to the next story and Alex bring you into to it and then we can have a more of a broad sort of conversation. So the next story that was, was up was one over on Finextra, which is uh, Starling Bank. Um, makes their first acquisition as they buy fleet mortgages for $50 million while flying high in the current account switching race. So Starling Bank has today announced the acquisition of specialist buy-to-let mortgage lender Fleet Mortgages. Um, fleet Mortgages originated 2.3 billion of mortgages and experienced zero credit losses, which is pretty damn impressive. It currently has circa 1.75 billion of mortgages under management. Um, the acquisition, Starling's first, is part of a wider plan at the bank to expand and lending through a mix of strategic forward flow arrangements, easier to say than you would think or harder to say than you would think, uh, organic lending and targeted M&A activity. Um, I mean, Alex, this is a pretty big move um, in terms of the, the the market. And I guess hot off, I mean, there's a few stories in here. The current account switching thing is amazing in the first place. Uh, I noted uh, in the numbers, I think you were gaining about the same that HSBC was losing, which I, I think sort of uh, points to an interesting inflection point in the industries to a certain degree. But if we sort of stick on the mortgages piece, um, you guys have built so much technology. You've built so much with Starling. You know, it really has. Anne's vision has always been, you know, building banking from the ground up again to 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 make it fit for the digital age, right? So, but actually, this this move into acquisitions, uh, that's that's fascinating. T tell me a little bit more about this. Absolutely. Thank, thanks very much, David. Just to correct you, it's fifty million pounds, not dollars, um, which is uh, what you said in a slip of the tongue. Um, yes, we, we will carry on building things. We love building things at Starling, but it, it made sense to, to buy um, Fleet. It's, it's uh, a company like us that was uh, founded in uh, 2014. And you alluded to something really interesting just now when you were talking about uh, Solaris and Currency Cloud, and that's about the cultural fit. Um, that's so important uh, when you're doing an acquisition. Uh, uh, Fleet was a, a disruptor like us, uh, same age as us. 
they are very, very good at what they do. And what they do is originating buy-to-let mortgages for the intermediary market. Um, we have wanted to enter the mortgage market. Mortgage market is huge. And even if you just take Fleet's subset of the mortgage market, which is buy-to-let mortgages, it's still huge. Um, and so that was attractive to us. We have got, um, uh, we're in the very fortunate position of having about £7 billion on deposit, and we are keen to deploy uh, uh, those assets to drive our profits up. So this was a sort of match made in, in heaven. Um, we have the deposit base um, and fleet have the skills at, um, you know, lending out the, the, the money. So it, it made perfect sense for us to move into this market this way. Uh, we're going to leave fleet alone to do what it does best. We're not interfering with the way they run. Um, the, the only difference is that all of their mortgages eventually will be originated, will, will be funded by Starling. Previously, they've had to go and seek funding for uh, all their mortgages. So it takes that problem off the table for them. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? And, and you know, again, congratulations and, and congratulations to you to both on these ones. It's just such a it's such an amazing moment in where we are with fintech that actually, I mean, people, um, Guerra, people talked about rebundling being this thing. And I think everybody planned on uh, Goldman Sachs coming in and buying everything. And therefore, it was the big banks that will come and sort of rebundle all these things. But we're seeing a point now in the industry where fintechs are big enough to be able to pull in other fintechs that complement what they're doing with similar mindsets, some similar mentality, similar uh, cultures, as, as Alex said. Um, is, this a, is this a moment, do you think, Guerra? Definitely, definitely a moment. I think, um, you know, lots of fintechs are going on shopping sprees lately. Um, you know, people are saying that the, the market is quite frothy. Um, I disagree. I'm, I'm quite bullish. Uh, but, you know, I think Starling is, for example, you know, giving Starling as an example, uh, they're growing up in the industry, but also growing up with their customers. So, you know, a, a customer base of like mostly millennials, uh, people are starting to buy houses, buy homes and starting to invest in property. So, you know, where, why, why not, uh, you know, get your mortgage through via uh, Starling or uh, from a, 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 a fintech that you trust and that you use as well. Uh, so, yeah, I think definitely a, an interesting time. Yeah. And I guess on, on that point, and, and, you know, maybe starting with you, Alex, but Leila, for, for you as well, you know, we, we have seen over time uh, many big organizations buy other, other companies and it's never really worked. You know, it's sort of that organ. And I, I, I don't mean it's not going to work in this sense, because I think the way in which you're approaching it is differently. But it's like organ transplant to a certain degree. I think people forget what made those organizations really successful. Therefore, you know, by picking the flower, they break the flower. Right. But Alex, you sort of touched on it a little bit. But uh, how are you sort of ensuring that actually the thing that you've bought and the the benefit, the the momentum that they've they've brought in continues in the way that it has been successful? Yeah, I mean, it's such an important point is, is that, you know, there's, there's no point buying a company and then all the, all the talent there leaves because um, you've got an empty shell then. So um, we're buying them because they're really good. At what, we're not going in, we're not measuring up the curtains, we're not changing the carpets. We know all we did was send them some cupcakes. Um, we, we trust them. And, um, we, you know, these, these deals take a long time to put together. So you get to know the individuals and that, that chemistry is there or it's not there. And I'm sure Layla's, you, you've had the same experience. And, um, that chemistry is really, really important because, you know, we're hoping this is a, a forever relationship and you've got to invest, um, 
all the time in that. And as I say, the, the most valuable assets in, in, a, in a company like Starling, like Fleet, like Solaris, is the talent. And if the talent walks, you've bought yourself a very expensive empty tin. Um, so you've got to really, really um, work on that. And But can I just correct something that Guerra said? Is We're not offering Starling mortgages, not yet, um, but we are. Um, but they are mortgages that will be funded by Starling. That makes sense, yeah. I couldn't agree more with Alex, actually, and I totally resonate with what she has said about the way Starling are approaching their acquisition. We bought Contest because we want the geographic reach. We want that licensing infrastructure. We want their capability suite, but we want them. And, you know, it's not about we now go in and we start rebranding and, you know, who knows what happens down the line. But fundamentally, we want what they're doing. We want them to continue doing what they're doing, which is doing what they're doing very well. And uh, we use the um, analogy a lot internally that uh, picking up on a point you made, Guerra, it's about fintechs and it's about speedboats, right? So rather than adding more weight, you know, Solaris, German weight to Contis's speedboat and vice versa, let's see what we can do to make each other speed up and keep, yeah, and that's why the speedboat analogy is perfect. We don't want to do anything that could possibly slow each other down. We just want to speed each other up because we've got big dreams. So we have to be able to empower each other. And it's not exactly as Alex said, going in, measuring the curtains, uh, you know, figuring out what color the carpet should be. We, we really are not about that. We want the people who are doing what they're doing fantastically. Um, so that's that's what's most exciting. And it would be horrific to buy a very expensive tin. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. Go ahead. Yeah, so that's a great analogy on the speedboats. I think, you know, in the past, M&As uh, have kind of looked like big fish gobbling up little fish and just swallowing them whole. Uh, so I really like the speedboat analogy. But um, with regards to speed, uh, so while expanding in Europe, um, you know, there's obviously regulatory considerations. Uh, it's important to go to go really quickly, right? Is, is this acquisition, is, is that like mostly to, to speed up the, the expansion across Europe? And, and where's next? I think you mentioned Asia. Yes, exactly. So um, we, we're actually super proud of our expansion throughout the um, European economic area because it happened very quickly because we have a fantastic geo-expansion team that have been laser-focused on this process. And in fact, um, what you have to do, you have to undertake a process whereby once you receive a welcome letter from the local regulator, you are then deemed as officially having a branch in those local markets. We received ours for those various markets one and a half months early to one month early, um, which just gives you, again, speaking to the talent piece, which is all, all that we have fundamentally is the expertise in-house. They are the ones that really made that move quickly. So if you're moving internally on the EEA side that fast, we need to be able to make sure that we have a match on the British side. With regards to the Asia view, we've had um, two Japanese-based investors that joined our cap table in Series B. So that was uh, SBI and Global Brain. And there's always been the prospect of potentially looking towards Asia. Contis has been um, developing their processor and some already um, clients are materializing in the APAC region. So that could be a natural extension for us, um, certainly leveraging our tech stack and stripping out the license and then seeing how we could do that um, overseas. 
that is a longer term goal for now though it's really about europe it's fascinating isn't it i mean you you're both you know solaris and starling you guys are winning on you know two fronts really you know when it comes to b2b in terms of the the underlying infrastructure that changes the industry and and alex from your perspective with uh, businesses and uh, and consumer uh, banking actually you guys are, are doing so well just to touch on, on one point uh, Alex, before we move on, the the current account switching numbers, which I, I sort of mentioned earlier on, uh, I just I find that just so so it's such a phenomenal change in in where people are moving to, you know, and seeing you know eighteen thousand eight hundred and seventy four people move to Starling over that period is that's just amazing. Like it really is a, an amazing feat. So h- how much do you celebrate these things internally, and and how much do you go? Well, this is what we set out to achieve, and you know we'll celebrate these successes on the way, but uh, but ultimately the the impact that you're looking for is a uh, even bigger than this. No, we we celebrate all our successes um, as we go, but. Um, uh, because it, it's it's you know a nice to pay tribute to ourselves, but for us, what is really gratifying about this number is we we have topped this switching table, and it's not the first time we've been top. We're we're always near the top, uh, very often at the top. Um, we do not offer any switching incentives. There are no bribes. We're not giving people free wine or which is a weird thing to give for a bank account. We're not giving away gift tokens. We're not giving away cash. Nothing. All you get with Starling is a bloody good product and great customer service, um, and we and we we outstrip the um, the banks that that pay bribes to get customers. And um, we've always questioned the value of those switches that are made for incentives. How loyal are those customers going to be? How profitable are they going to be? I'd much rather have someone who switched because they want to have a bank account with Starling. So uh, that's what we find really gratifying. Yeah, I think I can, I so agree with that. I made that point to, to somebody earlier on on, uh, on LinkedIn. I think it's, it's not just the gains chart, it's the losses, right? And actually, when you start looking at, um, you've consistently been acquiring through this process people switching to you but actually they're sticking with you because the experience is so good as well which is is amazing right so that's uh that's a i think a um a sign of a trend that will definitely continue which is uh is really really good to see but uh on that note do you know what? i reckon we could talk about this because uh for the rest of the show but uh, there's a lot of other things that have happened uh over the course of uh of the course of the the, the week so we we probably better move on uh, on that note we're going to take a little bit of a quick break we'll be back with you very shortly Customers expect more from their digital experience, and their personal finance is no exception. BlueShift empowers fintechs and financial institutions to create secure customer profiles and intentional, relevant experiences for customers. Whether in-app, on-site, in-branch, or anywhere else, BlueShift's smart hub CDP helps brands like LendingTree and ClearScore turn data into personalized experiences that increase retention, satisfaction, and revenue. Learn more about BlueShift at blueshift.com forward slash 11FS. All right. Uh, next bit of news that we have that came across was one that was over on BusinessWire. So this is uh, Visa to acquire Currency Cloud. So Visa has signed a definitive agreement to acquire Currency Cloud, a global platform that enables banks and fintechs to provide innovative foreign exchange solutions. Currency Cloud's cloud-based platforms offer a broad set of APIs enabling banks and FS players to do all sorts of fun stuff. Um, I mean, this is a really interesting one. I, I feel like the interesting thing about this one is like, 
like Visa just seemed to have a crazy amount of money, Guerra. Like they, uh, to your point around sort of um, shopping sprees and obviously the knockback that they had with Plaid, uh, is this them just sort of going, well, we sort of thought we were going to spend this money, so we're now spending it in various different places? What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, Visa has definitely got deep deep pockets. Um, I think that, that, you know, competing against, you know, none other than MasterCard, who's, who are also in, in this um, arms race of sorts, uh, you know, they, they definitely are, are keeping up and, and making really strategic uh, bets in terms of acquisitions, but also in terms of, of um, investments. Um, so it's been really cool the last year or so to see um, what what Visa has has uh, invested in. And, and Currency Cloud is really just, you know, they're already an international business like Visa is already like an international international rails um but currency cloud is going to really help bolster that a little bit more by adding a bit more context a little bit more um hopefully also like uh you know business clients as well um so yeah it's interesting, isn't it? For as you say, for for Visa and Mastercard, they're they're almost sort of fighting to broaden the 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 sort of set of capabilities that they have, uh, sort of up and down the the stream, aren't they, to a certain degree? But uh, I don't think this will be the last one of these things that we see from either of those companies. If I'm honest with you, in terms of trying to acquire more. I mean, Alex and, and Leila, as you were saying, not not just acquire technical capability, but but talent as well, right? What do you think, Leila? Yeah, I mean, in full disclosure, I would say that Visa are also our shareholder. Um, I I do think that Visa have an absolute knack for spotting the talent and understanding where the market is going. I am, of course, extremely biased. Um, but I do think that some of the views that they've had in the strategic ac- acquisitions that they've been going after, it feels like they have their finger very much on the pulse um, of where the market is going. So whilst... I, I did wonder actually out loud whether it was because they had a lot of money left over from one acquisition they were supposed to make that maybe they wanted to put that capital to, to work. Um, but also it's not a stretch strategically. And I agree, I totally agree with Guerra. What do, you, what do you think, Alex? Are we are we going to see more and more of this? Uh, th- there's a note uh, from the producers. Uh, there's a, a nutmeg's just gone for seven hundred million to JP Morgan, and Ant Financial's just gone to uh, bought uh, World First for seven hundred million as well. So uh, seven hundred million seems to be like a a bit of a a going rate for these things at the moment. I think that there is a massive appetite for these big old financial institutions to buy uh, fintech infrastructure. Um, I saw this great gif on Twitter this week. It was like a wolf with its fangs out and its prey and someone just put Visa on the wolf and fintech infrastructure on the prey. <laughs> and I don't know who did it, but, it, you know, they, they need it. Um, and um, that's what's driving this. Obviously, they want the talent, but they, they, they need to get in these markets. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, back to everything that we've said before, you know, like the advice to, you know, visa in this one is is you bought it for a reason and you know let that reason continue to shine right because arguably um like i say if you look at you know naming no names in the banking space but we've seen you know big banks buy small banks and actually sort of almost remove the the purpose from those things in terms of what really sort of made them successful so i guess only time will tell on this whether it um you know is is sort of crushed under the weight of it or not but uh, as you say uh, Lalo, the 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 visa guys seem to have a, a bit of a, a pulse check on where the industry is going and uh, making the acquisitions that actually allows them to, to really stay relevant, I think, to their, to their customers. Yes, it's, it's a constant race to stay relevant to Alex's point. They need that fintech infrastructure. And how else do you do that? You've got deep pockets, you go out on a shopping spree. 
they have way more deep pockets than we do. <laughs> Indeed. Well, uh, I, I'm always fond of a shopping spree, I have to say, but never <laughs> 700 million. You know, my uh, my shoe addiction has got to, to crazy levels, but never quite that bad, I have to say. Um, so uh, from, from Visa to MasterCard, actually. So we've got Lloyds and MasterCard aim to take... Account to account payments mainstream. This was the story that was over on Finextra. Lloyds' commercial banking is rolling out a new payment service which enables consumers to make payments uh, on an organization's website directly from their bank account without having to enter in any payment details. The new service, dubbed Pay from Bank, combines MasterCard's payments gateway capabilities and its open banking connect platform to deliver a merchant account to account payment page that covers around 95% of UK bank accounts with open banking APIs. Um, this is, a, I guess, another uh, good sign for open banking, uh, Guerra. You know, we're, we're finally starting to see people use it in, like, real ways now, aren't we? They're not just talking about open banking, but talking about the things that it can actually solve for people, which has got to be a good thing, hasn't it? Yeah, I think that the hype has finally cooled off. I think, you know, the hype around open banking and PSD2 and all these implementations and all these cool things that could be done, that was a lot pretty theoretical a couple of years ago, but now we're actually seeing uh, large banks really um, like actually putting their money where their mouth is and like uh, enabling things like account to account transfers and payments. Um, so, you know, shout out to Lloyd's. I think this is, these guys have really done a great job of, of dusting off the, the dinosaur uh, persona and really <laughs> leaning a little bit into in, into um, entering the 21st century even more. Um, so yeah, very good. I mean, Alex, uh, you know, you guys have done various different bits with with open banking and obviously been a uh, out there in the front with a few of these things as well. I mean, how do you see things like this starting to to really take advantage of uh, that capability, particularly in the UK market? Obviously, well, uh, I think I think we are really interested in this whole concept of embedded finance um, and, uh, you know, where you integrate financial services into customer non-financial customer journeys. So I, th I think it's really, really interesting. It, it, we're fascinated. I think this um, will we'll be most interested to see the results um, of, of this deal. I think, um, you know, you, you look at Trustly, we're seeing we're seeing this happen now. This, 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 is, this is happening. And I think we're still at the early stages of the expansion of this, people have got to get used to it. Consumers and merchants have got to build trust. Um, but I think it's absolutely fascinating. And uh, we think that Starling is very well placed to grab some of the opportunities arising from embedded mm. finance. So watch this space. Yeah, I, I guess that point, uh, Lelia, on, on embedded finance, I mean, I imagine not wanting to put words in your mouth or put you on the spot to confirm or deny this, but I imagine a huge amount of the people who are coming to talk to you at the moment are people trying to embed financial services into a non-financial services offering, right? And we're definitely seeing this from 11FS's perspective. It's just the opportunities to sort of tap into you know, financial revenue, uh, financial industry revenue without being a financial industry player. Like that's huge, isn't it? So uh, um, there was a question in there. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fundamentally, that's our thesis too. We, we really believe in embedded finance. We really believe in contextual finance and that's what we exist to do. Banking as a service, the reason why we originally set up the company in the first place is because we wanted to enable non-financial service players to offer financial services in their look, in their feel, in their touch, and straight directly into their ecosystem of customers. 
Um, I think we recently did a, um, a, a report, a study with the Handelsblatt Institute, where we took a cross-section of German consumers and we asked them, how likely would you be to make sure that your home bank account was not an incumbent bank account, not a traditional bank. 61.4% of those people said that they would happily take a bank account from an Ikea, from an Amazon, from an auto, because they have that instinctive trust with those brands. To Guerra's point earlier, they've grown up with them, they've been around for a long time, or they've come up with them as well in their age group, in their uh, generational group. So it's not far-fetched anymore to say, okay, I don't, I don't really need to go to a Barclays or an HSBC to feel safe about my banking. I can do that with, I can do that with Amazon or IKEA or Otto or whomever may wish to offer those financial services. Um, so I think we really are only at the tip of the iceberg of what the market could and will be. Um, it's, it's. It's a massive opportunity, and I think we're only at the beginning of grasping how huge it is. Yeah, yeah I agree. I mean, Alex, it's good to see as an industry we're sort of you know grasping these things and moving them forwards as well. You know, it's uh, it's not going to be PSD eight thousand and fifty seven that sort of finally starts to get to the you know the changes. The industry is actually moving these for things forward ahead of really where some of the regulations really sort of pushing here as well. Uh, absolutely. And um, I just want to pick up on something that Leila said, you know, about people would being being interested to, you know, bank with IKEA or whoever. What, what, you know, we, we're going to talk in a minute about Tesco, I believe. And it's not good enough just to, for your brand to recreate an old fashioned bank. That's you can have Tesco is amazingly it's a fantastic brand. It's got lots of trust. Um all the British supermarkets are great brands, and yet they've not managed to make banking work because they didn't try and build something new, um, and they didn't try and make it innovative. They didn't innovate, really. Uh, and I think that that statistic you had is, is so interesting because as, although they're 61.4, whatever the numbers say that, they will do it if they think they're going to get something better and yes. Yes. newer I couldn't agree. and more I couldn't agree more. So what's incredibly important and, and one thing that we've seen is that you have to bring the financial services to the point of sale. You have to make sure that whatever the, the tech that's being utilized at that point of sale is enabling your financial services, your financial transactions. So for example, um, we launched a project at the end of last year with Samsung Pay. You when you could walk into stores, you can now walk into stores again and you buy your device. One of the things that you can automatically load as soon as you, you fire up your device is your Samsung Pay account. The reference account that you have, it can be any bank account. It's a decoupled Visa debit card that automatically um, is part of the offering. So that's a perfect example of an embedded finance offering whereby you have your phone, you have your wallet, and you can start using it straight away. You could also start using our buy now, pay later solution. And it's it's really about that point of sale. When do I use my phone? When do I pull it out to tap the transaction? And it's enabling you to, to speed up the process of, of your interaction with your financials rather than purely a home bank account. 
it, it's fascinating though, isn't it? Because I think there's there's so many things. Why why do people trust different brands and what you know? To your point, solving a real problem. But I guess the the challenge with uh, you know Alex, your your point on um, you know like Tesco. I mean, Tesco built a small bank like a big bank would build a small bank, and that was really what the problem was. And it it always goes back to the point that both of you were making, Alex and, and Leila, on on culture earlier on, because actually that's really where the revolution is happening. You know, if you if you change the the way in which those organisations operate and their desire to serve customers, whether it's in the you know the bass sense or the retail banking sense, then the product of that at the end of it, and I don't mean product like current accounts or credit cards or whatever. I mean just the result of it is is sort of different, isn't it? Um, it's interesting when when brands that are non financial services come into banking, and there's quite a few of them, very. Uh, very rarely do they live up to the potential of their experiences that they do in other industries. Um, and I think it's because basically they they do it in the way that big banks do it rather than doing it in the way that, you know, fintechs have been approaching it. So it's uh, it's going to be a fascinating thing to see. I think the greatest thing, we all sort of come back to this a lot on, on this, is the greatest thing that we're sort of seeing now is whether you're trying to build a bank or whether you are a customer trying to get a bank or a, you're a business trying to get a bank account, you've just got so much choice now. And because of that, it means the the game for everybody is just getting, uh, you know, uh, uh, tougher and tougher and that competition is getting stronger. So it's it's exciting. It really is. But can I also, I think another point to mention, with, with App-based banks like Starling and Monzo and Revolut, um, it's so quick and easy to open an account. Uh, so you can sort of try before you buy. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to stand in line and sign a piece of paper or make an appointment to see someone. And that that is also another thing that's driving this competition. It, it's, it's, it's easy. You can open them all and, and compare them with each other. And that's, um, if I were... Uh, an old bank, um, particularly one offering accounts to small business customers who requires them to make an appointment with a manager there who then makes you wait for half an hour when you turn up on time for your appointment. Um, that's, that's where they're falling down. Um, and it, it's a really obvious little thing, but, um. Yeah. I think the incumbents have forgotten the customers. And, and that's really what we fintechs are here to do. We're disrupting because we're trying to put the customers back at the heart of everything that we do. Yeah. I mean, I was literally having this conversation with my taxi driver on the way to the train station this this week to, to get into London. And she was saying, it's like, yeah, the branch, the, my, I won't say which bank it was, but uh, it was a blue one. Uh, and uh, and they were like, look, we've got to, she was saying, they're making me go into the branches, but the branches are only open until like 12 o'clock and I'm like driving a taxi. So like, how, when am I ever going to do that? You know, so it's the impracticality of the, as you say, Alex, the the customer experience is, is not geared around the customer. It's sort of geared around when people want to work in branches and those things there, which, you know, in this periods, particularly with the pandemic, is I think just exposing so much of that fragility, isn't it? I think we could probably go on for this one for a long time. We, we really should go back to like four-hour news shows, I think, at this stage, but uh, we'll, we'll have to move on. And before we do move on to the next part of the show, we would love for you guys, the, the listeners, to get more involved in upcoming episodes of Fintech Insider. Uh, and to do it, we're going a bit old school on this one. So we have set up a Fintech Insider answer machine, like, believe it or not. It's not it's not a real one. There's not literally one in the office that will go and push the button on, um, but it will get all of the messages through to us. So if you 
you would like to hit up the Fintech Insider answer machine with any questions you'd like to hear, we'll attempt to answer them in an AMA, sort of an Ask Us Anything uh, show in the next few weeks. Uh, questions can be anything you want from the future of fintech to why Simon likes Pepsi Max so much you like go nuts whatever you want to put on uh, if you do want to get involved call us on 020-8050-0611 that's 020-8050-0611 I feel like I'm probably going to get to know that phone number off by heart really really quickly uh, alternatively if you want to just tweet us a question we'll get that involved um, but if you leave your name we'll give you a shout out and play your message on that show Look forward to hearing what you've got to say. All right, back on with the news. At this part of the show, we want to try and round out some of the uh, stories that we didn't quite get to uh, cover. So, Guerra, we're going to go for a bit of a, uh, a bit of a fast, uh, fast follow round. So, uh, I think you're up first. All right. So, this is coming from KR Asia. Uh, so, Gojek integrates with Jago uh, for a digital banking push. So Jago is now available as a cashless payment method on the Gojek Super app in Indonesia. This marks Gojek's first collaboration with Bank Jago, as after it's acquired after it acquired a 22% stake in the digital bank back in December 2020. Uh, the integration will help customers do uh, to better manage their finances. Uh, they can create dedicated pocket. Um, for their Gojek expenditure to easily track uh, their transactions. Uh, so Indonesia also has around 113 million people who are unbanked. Digital banks see this as a tremendous business opportunity, especially since the country has a young population that generally has access to smartphones and is well connected to the internet. Very good. I mean, it's a fascinating one to have such a significant uh, base that is completely unbanked in that area. I mean, it's interesting as well because like, I guess big banks are struggling to actually uh, serve them given the operating costs, making that even remotely profitable, let alone breaking even, right? So it's going to be a fascinating market to see what happens. And the next story that we had was one over on BBC, which was, uh, as, as Alex foreshadowed us a little bit, Tesco Bank is going to be closing all of its current accounts. So Tesco Bank has said it will close all of its current accounts because most customers are not actually using them anymore, which is a bit sad. Uh, the bank estimated that only 12% of its current accounts are actually being used by customers as their primary account. It said most had limited activity and other were being used for other purposes, such as a savings pot. The decision came after the bank reported a 175 million loss in April, compared with 193 million profit in the previous 12 months. Uh, all of its 213,000 personal current accounts would cease to exist on the 30th of November, and it had closed its current accounts to new businesses in December 2019. Um, this is. I mean, this is sad, but I, I wonder if it matters for Tesco in a certain instance, because I guess the current account for me is always a, a place of creating cross-sell opportunities, really. It's where the relationship is created when actually that's the thing that you're doing solely. Um, and Tesco actually have a distribution ability for lending products or insurance products or all different types of things that they do while someone stood at a till. So it's sad that actually they haven't got to the point where they can really make it work in that sense, because particularly in a digital world, then, you know, the 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 center of where your, your money is being paid is the, the thing that all of your financial services revolves around. But they do have all of these stores and they do have all of these branches. So I don't think this is the just yet the demise of Tesco Bank and in its entirety, but we'll have to wait out and see, I guess. Over to you, Guerra. This is from Finextra. So Goldman Sachs boosts transaction banking biz with Fiserv tie-up. 
Uh, Goldman Sachs is looking to scale up its new transaction banking business by teaming up with Fiserv to offer their clients services, starting with cross-border supplier payments. So Fiserv clients will have access to Goldman Sachs' transaction banking's central, centralized cloud-based payment suite that enables domestic and foreign currency payments. Uh, these clients will be able to execute cross-border payments natively within their existing accounts, receivable, uh, and accounts payable technology from Fiserv. Goldman Sachs will manage FX and domestic payment delivery to suppliers in more than 125 different countries. Another big win for B2B fi like financial services. Um, so Goldman Sachs really wading into this in a big way. It's good for them. Yeah, I think we're I think we're going to need a little jingle for when J.P. Morgan Chase or Goldman Sachs does a thing because I think they're uh, oddly competing with each other in the next. Uh, it feels like some big sort of uh, uh, you know dick swinging thing between those guys with uh, with uh, investments and uh, acquisitions and all sorts of stuff. So it's gonna it's gonna be fascinating to see how that one works out in uh, in New York. I'm sure. All right, we we better wrap up the show and bring everybody back for the 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 last uh, the last story. So this is sort of. My story made in heaven, really. This is where fintech and basketball overlap. So we've got uh, a story that was over in the Coin Telegraph, which is Chicago Bulls. Uh, if you don't know, the most famous basketball team of all time uh, teams up with Shopify to launch an NFT series. Uh, the NBA Chicago Bulls have launched an NFT with which depicts the six championship-winning seasons from the 1990s via leading e-commerce platform Shopify. According to the Shopify press. President uh, Harley Finkelstein, the Chicago Bulls franchise is Shopify's first partners to launch an NFT storefront on the platform. The Bulls legacy collection, it is as it is known, depicts these uh, over the six drops that they're doing. Each token is celebrating this, the team's six iconic championship wins between 1991 and 1998. I'll be honest, I'm a big basketball fan, but NFTs make absolutely no sense to me in any way, shape, or form. Like, uh, has anybody uh, has anybody bought one? Is anybody excited by this? Guerra, are you, uh, you into this? I'm really excited by this. I mean, personally, don't have any NFTs yet, um, but uh, if anyone is going to release an NFT, it better be the Chicago Bulls, or at least the NBA. Just, um, you know, the, collect the collectibleness of this is, is absolutely mind-blowing. Um, so, you know, like also Shopify, uh, Canadian company invested in by Drake. Drake, big fan of the Raptors. It's all coming full circle. Uh, but yeah. yeah, there's like a degrees of separation thing yeah. happening here, isn't there? I can I can see it unfolding. But uh, but it's I guess to your point though that it does sort of make sense because there's been like a a basketball card and you know sports card industry for a really long time. Is this just a sort of seeing a, a digital version of of that that industry? And do you think it it sort of has that collectibles vibe to it, doesn't it? In that sense, it does. And I don't think anyone's going to be wearing their token uh, key on their you know on a bracelet anytime soon of their NFT. But you know, it's, it's something. It's something collectors are into this. Um, I wonder if maybe Supreme might do something. But yeah, Alexander, Alexander, and Leila, do you have any thoughts about this? I mean, I love basketball. You know, I lived for years in the States. I came to love it. I, it's the NBA draft tonight. I'm sure you'll be watching it, David. Um, hurrah. But NFTs, I just think they're completely dumb. I don't get it. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a gratuitous use of energy to mint the tokens. Um, for what? For something that you can copy. Uh, I, I just, you know, and it's not like, it's not like cards that kids used to collect because they're, they're not within reach of, school children 
I don't think. Um, you don't get them in bubblegum packets. Um, so I, I'm just, you know, I might get lots of hate on social media now. But I mean, I'm with you on this one. I'll be honest. I've, I've had this argument with Simon Taylor in the 11FS office quite frequently. Like, it, it's just confusing, isn't it? Because I, to, to your point, and we've seen NFTs for all different types of things with regards to, you know, um, uh, Jack Dorsey's first tweet or whatever, you know, like, but it's like you don't really own it. And, and the way that Simon sort of re- explained it to me was kind of like you're owning the receipt of the thing. Which makes no even sense even more because it's like I don't want the receipt of the thing; I want the thing. So it's uh, it is quite a, a confusing concept. But um, I just I think Simon basically resulted to just telling me I was old. So like, and at that point, I, I don't I think agree. I've got any comeback on that one. You know, <laughs> I agree. You're, you're not owning the receipt; you're owning bragging rights, also. So you know that's something to think about. <laughs> well, t- tell me when Michael Jordan's selling his six rings, and I'll be interested in that one. But like you say, I think it's uh, I don't think it's the um, I don't think that will be in my price range, Alex, in the way that uh, potentially the, uh, you know, a card out of a Topps wrapper would have been in, in that sense. But uh, Le- Lele, have you been uh, uh, pulled into any NFTs or the, the purchase of any NFTs? No, I haven't. Um, maybe I'm also showing my age a little bit there, but it's not been something that's really reached me yet. But I think it's interesting. Look, I mean, there was a time when people were talking about Bitcoin and Ether in the same way that we're talking about NFTs. And yes, OK, there's not as much of the political fanfare about the decentralized system and what that means for uh, basically the global money systems, but who knows, maybe it is a new rising asset class that is just representative of these, you know, strange digital artworks that you can indeed copy, but you own the bragging rights to say that you own yeah. it. So who knows? Let's it's, see. It's interesting. It, it feels like almost the prototype for something that might be sensible down the line, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, actually, exactly. you know, being that early days of of the things kind of sort of make sense but actually yeah. it won't matter until it's meaningful but uh but yeah, yeah. until don't then knock. i'm not going to spend a bunch of money yeah i mean don't knock the creativity though right like it's the the tech piece that comes out of it that might be used for something larger to your point so i i like the innovation yeah. i like the idea maybe it will have some some real hard and fast use in the future we just can't see it quite yet well, proof of um, you know proof of ownership with digital assets is a is a really sensible place to be going, and it, actually, it's something like the music industry, or, or you say the you know the the art industry have been struggling with this for a really long time, haven't they? So actually, being able to bring those things to a you know a, a digital age, I mean, Alex, as you say, the uh, the intensity from an electricity perspective to actually mint these things is uh, uh, a challenge in itself, which which is why it, it feels like that it's not quite mainstream yet. Um, but at the same time, people are making a crap ton of money. So, like, fair play to them. All right, on that, this one, we're going to have to uh, uh, wrap up the show, I'm afraid. Alex, like you say, though, I think I'll stick to basketball in real life. I think it's just a bit more entertaining, isn't it? You know, doesn't come with the hot dog, so uh, I'm not interested. All right, on that note, we're going to be wrapping up the show. Thank you so much for all of our guests for joining us. Where can people learn a little bit more about you, Alex? Uh, you'll find me on uh, Twitter, uh, at Freeney, and check out social media, check out Sun bank social media particularly on instagram uh, where we're having lots of fun right now very good Layla, where can people learn a little bit more about you um linkedin is where you'll find me so at Layla kasim that's q-a-s-s-i-m and um we'll be releasing a lot of news on our blog also you can find that at solarisbank.de very good how about you guara 
eleventfest.com, um, but also on twitter.com uh, at, at notguera. Very confusing handle. Like, I'll be honest, that's that not guerra to find guerra. That's just very confusing, I have to say. All right. As for me, you can find me where Valeria is lurking on LinkedIn. So I'll uh, I'll be over there as well. Uh, and thank you for listening. And don't forget to hit up that answer machine and ask your questions and we'll get to them on uh, one of the next shows. Uh, otherwise, join the conversation on social media or email us on podcast at 11fs.com. Thank you very much for joining, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.